It's all in the game with David Downey and Neil Atkinson. Everything and anything football. It's all in the game on City Talk 105.9. It's not Dave Downey. It's not Dave Bennett. <laughs> Evertonian, the next time you say something like, I don't like that City Talk 105.9, it's, you know, it's nothing but Reds. Well, at least the Reds turn up. I've got John <laughs> Gibbons opposite me tonight sitting in because uh, Dave Dave Downey sadly couldn't make it and at short notice Dave Bennett sadly couldn't get here. So uh, we instead I managed to pluck John Gibbons from his office in the Cotton Exchange and brought him down almost like a naughty schoolboy and said, John, we're going to do some serious radio about football. Are you ready? And what did you say? Um, (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't sure but I'm here I'm here for the people of Merseyside going to try my best I don't think I've done this show before have I? Yeah I haven't done this show before the alternative was genuinely I just talked to myself about football (laughs) for 15 minutes which which it could be argued has happened before on this show Yes exactly you know we can end up going down that route Um, (laughs) we we, we will definitely have Ian McIntosh in part 3 it's looking like we might have Catherine Stewart in part 2 but before then me and John are going to talk about Liverpool and maybe do a little bit on Everton. Did you see any of the Everton game, John? I've seen the goals. Never saw the second half. Did you see the second half? Yeah. What did you think? I thought I thought Everton played reasonably well. I thought, I thought, I thought City kicked on. I thought, um, but I mean, Everton. You know, it was good. It was good. Their defeat was going to come eventually, wasn't it? And so it wasn't. A, I know they've got a good record at City, but you know, it wasn't a bad place for him to come. I just think, you know, Lukaku in, in particular just looks like he's, you know, he's, he's obviously a fantastic addition for them, doing very well. I think Marino is pulling a bit of wool over the eyes when saying, "Oh, you know, it's it's easier to do well there than it is here." I don't really see that at all. I know you get extra pressure playing you know near the top of the league, but you know Everton are a team doing well. Everton, you know, will be at least top half this season, yeah. and you know he's he presumably will get less chances at Everton than he will do somewhere like Chelsea with all the fantastic talent they've got behind. So I don't see why you know he can say that. Oh, you know, I think he's just trying to you know he doesn't want to make himself look stupid because obviously none of his strikers have scored yet and um, you know Lukaku's got four, four is in the league now I think he's got four yeah and I yeah. think the point is as well he's just gone and done it at the, at the side that you'd still probably make favourite for the title <laughs> yeah. he's gone to their ground and done the business and, mm. and not only it wasn't a consolation it was the goal that put Everton 1-0 up in the football match that's the goal he yeah. scored so I mean letting him go and then getting Eto in kind of, kind of looks a little bit foolish now although I know, I know managers do like to work with players they've worked with before I think that's a big thing, and but I, I think that the other thing on it as well is that if that we did the transfer deadline day show that I am on that Monday night, and it was it looked like Everton, uh, sorry Chelsea, and it's come out in hindsight they were prepared to get pre- pretty much any centre forward go. Well, they wanted Bar, Bar, I think was the was the first choice to sort of get out of then, um, and then when they couldn't shift him late, it, it kind of turned into Lukaku, and all the Lukaku stuff did happen very very quickly, and I think it caught West Brom out. To be honest with you, it kind of looked like that West Brom had been told, look, he's not going to go, and then they got all the people in and then that like for instance Anna yeah and then it all worked out really well for Everton who got him and Barry I thought they missed Barry on, on the weekend they could have done with the, you know him in the field obviously he's played very well for them he, he was a bit more calm and they could they could have done with getting the getting the foot on the ball a little bit more in the second mm. half and just and just because it was it was getting quite a bit a little bit relentless and you know Barry's obviously a player who's got huge experience and who can do that but um yeah they, they, they couldn't they couldn't pick him up obviously unfortunately no I thought I I thought from what I saw I thought Everton had done all right. I thought that there was there's the idea that you can be. They've gone to a very tough place. They got beaten three one, but I thought that on the whole they they acquitted themselves reasonably well. I think City are fascinating in that it's that moment where they kick on. Yeah. And of everyone I've seen so far this season, any side, um, including Arsenal uh, and including Liverpool for that matter, City still at the side who've got a gear. 
and that's and, and they showed it against United and the second half especially they showed it against Everton they just went go on there's the other gear and suddenly they, they look streets ahead of almost anybody else who's playing because Everton are a good side and they've had some good results so far this season beating Chelsea at home but suddenly it did look like it was a, there was a gulf between the two teams and I think that's why that's why I still expect City to kick on Well on paper the squad's I think easily the best in the Premier League. I don't think you could even make an argument that, that anyone else's is better. I think it's easily stronger. You know, that brings problems in itself. It's getting players to gel. It's who do you pick up front when everyone's fit is going to be, you know, a bit of a problem with City then looking to keep people happy. What I thought was interesting watching City, I spent a lot of time watching their manager's second half. And for someone who came had a reputation of being very calm and mm. being sort of, you know, someone who, who who was quite calm on the sidelines, he was extremely agitated. He was, you know, screaming at his players a lot, screaming at the ref. He even had a go bright kid at one point which was very entertaining for, <laughs> for me. not enough people shouting at Brian Kidd for me but I think it was something to do with the substitution um, that, that um, you know he, he felt someone should have been warming up and that they weren't and he seemed to, seemed to blame Brian Kidd but you know that, that was sort of quite entertaining but yeah he, he seems to be I don't know if he's feeling a little bit of pressure or whether he just feels like he needs to you know do a bit more to get more out of his players I don't know but it's certainly um, it's certainly not the manager that uh, City were told sold on that I was stunned to move it on to Liverpool. I was stunned <clears throat> by Brendan Rodgers' demeanour on the touchline against a Crystal Palace at the weekend. I very rarely watch the manager. I'm not a natural manager watcher. But I was when I was sitting, you couldn't not see him. I was pretty much in line with him. And he, to look at the pitch, he would get your attention, if you see what I mean. And he was absolutely furious with practically everything Liverpool were doing, especially in the first half. And with specific reference to Henderson and Gerrard. He took what Henderson and Gerrard did on the pitch very, very badly indeed. And I, I, I didn't sort of see that coming at all. It was he kicked At one point, he, he kicked over the um, all the water bottles that were sitting on the sidelines in, in sheer exasperation. And you saw one of the uh, one of the minions who do bar Pasco just now remain na- nameless on Liverpool <laughs> sidelines. Sort of hurriedly sort of get them out of his way in case he kicks them again. Yeah, these water bottles are getting it everywhere, oh, aren't they? Getting it absolutely There's not everywhere. a water bottle that's safe from a manager in the Premier League. Could, could you tell what it was in particular he wasn't happy yes, with them Yes, with Henderson. With Henderson. His frustration with Henderson, I think it's quite interesting because I actually think the two frustrations are contradictory a little bit. His frustration with Henderson was he didn't think Henderson was being proactive enough in terms of getting the ball and keeping it safe and then being... So, for instance, remember when uh, Skirtle miscued it out when he was looking for Skirtle for Sterling in the first half? Oh, yeah, for a throw-in. For a throw-in. The manager blamed Henderson for that because Henderson had backheaded it. And because Henderson had backheaded it, what he was saying to Henderson was, you should have got that, you should have got it under control and looked to play. And that was his body language. And Henderson argued with him and he went, hang on, that fella there's the one who's just kicked it out into touch, <laughs> which which isn't unreasonable. It yeah, is, you know, yeah. it's it's one of the things that you do actually like about Henderson is that you get the impression he's prepared to stick up for himself. Yeah. And the manager was having none of it and was telling him straight, you don't do that again. You get it and you put it under control and we go from there. And he did that in the first half, but then his frustration was repeatedly when he felt, he was frustrated at one point when Henderson added in centre midfield and he played a 20-yard pass that actually got a smattering of applause from the crowd to uh, Torre to spread the play, keep the ball, but because it was going backwards. And his frustration with Henderson, Henderson, he was frustrated with what Henderson was doing with the ball when he was finding a red shirt because he didn't feel as though Henderson was being aggressive enough and looking forward and looking to get Liverpool on the front foot. Right. That's what came across. His frustration with Gerrard was three or four of Gerrard's crossfield passes that are meant to open the play up in an aggressive manner. He didn't think they were the right ball. So there was one, I think, which Enrique strained to keep in. Um, and he was really, really unhappy with that pass. Yeah. Uh, and, and you got the impression with the choice of it, the selection of it from the captain. Uh, I remember one to Sterling as well, that Sterling couldn't reach. Yeah, well, there was one to Sterling that Sterling couldn't reach. He was unhappy about that as well. And it's odd that because his comments afterwards, you know, 
about control in the game, he didn't feel as though we had enough control. They reminded me of one of the criticisms, and it's come up before the game, you know, we, we said on the Anfield Rap last week about the way he was talking about what he sees his ideal team doing, and a lot of it we weren't doing, so you were a bit like, well, what's going on? Yeah. And a lot of it's sort of contradictory there. Henderson is trying to keep control of the football, trying to keep control of the game. He might be taking a safer option, but if the if the riskier option means you lose possession, then you, you, you're in less control. And yet that was his real frustration. Why isn't he looking for Moses? Why isn't he looking for Sturridge? Why isn't he looking for Suarez? That is very interesting. It's all very interesting in terms of Henderson. You know, as you say, that the kind of thing that he seems to be criticising him for is what he wants his football teams to do. He came out, you know, as you say, last week with this quote saying he wants his team, you know, he looks to control games of football. He wants us to dominate possession. But then, you know, using the ball, you know, he's not using it quick enough. And But... But what he's saying to Henderson, what he wants him to do, seems to tie in with how he wants us to play this season, which is to attack quickly, which is to get the ball to our front men quickly, and to you know to move the ball very quickly from back to front. So I don't know why he's still saying these things, these little sound bites that he seems to fall back onto and say, well, you know, I don't, I don't think he's the kind of person who, who would try and sound clever for the sake of it. I wouldn't say that about a Liverpool manager, but you know, maybe it's little things that he, that he falls back on and to say, which seems to be in, in contradiction to how he's looking to get this team to play do you know what I think it is and I was, I've been thinking about this and I have actually you know you know, this is one of those things where you you realise you're thinking about this in the shower this oh, yeah. is, now, this is yeah. now occupying a lot of my thought uh, I haven't seen the way he was with those players and, and, and the comments he made afterwards which suggests he was very disappointed in the midfield too and other players as well second half performance especially the fact that he seemed genuinely disappointed in the midfield too in the first half especially from what I saw what I think he wants and it's sort of, it's wrecking my head a little bit, but we were saying this at times last season. I think he's almost looking for perfection. And I think he's trying to, I think it might be, it might be tough love for Henderson. It might be with a residual uh, frustration, but I think he effectively wants them to be perfect. I.e. they'll play the ball when the ball's on. They'll play the safe option when there's no ball on. And I think he he's, I think if you, what we said last season was there's a lot of ways in which Liverpool play, wherein, and this was especially at the start of the season, what he's asking of them is that he needs six, seven, eight of them to have eight out of ten games. Mm-hmm. Whereas other managers, Hodgson as an example, only needs two or three players to have eight out of ten games to get the sort of results and performances he wants as long as everyone else has solid six out of ten games and doesn't 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 deviate too much. And we said, you know, I remember arguing that Julio wanted five or six to have those games, but he says seven or eight, and Rodgers... 9, 10, maybe 11 to get the sort of football that he wants because there's the, in, 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 intrinsically in the way in which you play if you've got one weak link then everything snaps whereas Benitez, Julia and especially Hodgson allows for the way they ask their sides to play football for there to be a lot of weak links they allow for that it's intrinsic in the systems that they set up and last season that sort of stopped being what we were asking of our players on the whole. There was, you know, there's a lot of counter-attacking football. Liverpool would sit deep in spring. There was the idea that you could give the ball away if you were trying to create something and make it happen quickly. That was happening more and more. I wonder if the residue of this need for perfection is in central midfield. That is central midfield will only work this season the way he's got to set up if the two players have eight, nine out of ten games. That's what he needs from them, both with and without the ball. He needs players in centre mid who are able to turn in on a pretty regular basis a game that you give 8 or 9 out of 10 to, which ultimately hasn't happened this season once for anyone who's played in that centre midfield for Liverpool. No, I mean, you'd argue that Henderson's maybe came the closest with his performance. I thought he played very well, but what, in many ways, what we kind of 
think that the people are playing well doesn't really matter because the, the most important thing is the manager because he knows what he's asking of them. So we can see Henderson doing a lot of busy things and getting about a lot and, you know, playing what we think are good passes and think he's playing well. But if he's not following manager's instructions, then that is the most important thing because he's deciding how we're going to go and, and, and win games of football. I'd be interested to see what he makes of Lucas this season then if he's if he's shouted at Gerard and Henderson a lot. Maybe you could sit in the same seat next time. Could you do that <laughs> and see what he's saying to Lucas? Because Lucas is someone who does he wasn't he isn't that aggressive with his passing and is he is he standing there demanding more of Lucas, maybe not maybe wanting Lucas not to do the same opposition, or does he kind of know what he's getting with Lucas and so he's thinking, well, you know, this is my man and he's got Gerard next to him, so it doesn't really matter. What I, another thing I find interesting as well is when you said to me he wasn't happy with central midfield at all, you text me and said that on Saturday and then we didn't really get on to it Saturday night for, for a host of reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yes, John. <laughs> um, but we didn't we get into it, but I just presumed that you meant without the ball. No. Because I just presumed you meant, oh, well, they're getting, they're getting space and they're getting, you know, there's bits of gaps here and Palace was still creating chances, which you wouldn't, they shouldn't have been doing because they're probably the worst team in the league. So I just presumed you meant that, but it seems to be his focus primarily is what the midfielders do it on the ball, and that kind of worries me a little bit because I'm I'm seeing this space and seeing us well, not enough, not doing enough about that. To stay on Rogers' watch, which might be somewhat gilded in the lily. Um, immediately after he, he tore a strip off Henderson, uh, the next time Henderson went in, one of those times when he p- pressed very aggressively, blocked them off, won the ball, manager was right up to him. Yeah, giving him that in terms of what he was doing off the ball he seemed quite happy with what Henderson was doing off the ball he just didn't seem happy with either Henderson or Gerrard on the ball and it's it's. I don't know if it's expecting more of them than they've got in the, you know thinking I mean I think we're all at the point now where we're pretty much accepting of Enrique in that <laughs> you know we know that it's it's crazy that anything can happen he, you know he's got more assists than any other Liverpool player this season got more assists than any player in the league who was in Mesutotzel this season so is that, right? that is right wow yes um, which it's mind boggling it's partially because the way assists are counted and all that sort of stuff but it's also the mind boggling he did that, well for the goal he does, he does do well for the goal um, it, it's crazy that that's but that's the situation in that given everything else that he does on the pitch that he's now theoretically Liverpool's most creative player um, but it's almost as though I think he knows what you know Enrique is Enrique is Enrique there's no more Enrique-ness to get out there trust me he's getting it all out on a weekly basis for <laughs> Liverpool um, but I wonder if he's thinking certainly with Henderson you know he wants more from him as a footballer he wants him to be, he, he feels as though he's got it in him to look for that ball that quick ball and all that sort of stuff and he feels he's, he's got more to come from Gerrard I think he's decided and I think it's interesting, and this is something I posed on the Anfield Rap podcast, and it's something that we were getting to, we've been driving towards a couple of times. I actually think that I wonder if Liverpool supporters generally, um, and, and people in football full stop, but Liverpool supporters generally are prone to putting more onus on central midfield than actually there needs to be in this league. Because ultimately at the minute, Liverpool, I think, are the best team in the country in the final third. If Liverpool have got the ball in the final third now, currently, and they've got it under control in a v- v- vaguely structured manner, then you expect Liverpool to create a goal-scoring opportunity. I think you're definitely right, and I think it's something that I've certainly done. I think those of us who, who really learnt our football, you know, under Benitez, but even people sort of older than well, that. I think it's people older than that as well. Yeah. You've got people who grew up watching Paisley's sides, yeah. where centre midfield was Sunes and McDermott, mm-hmm. and it wasn't just the best centre midfield in the country. It was the best centre midfield in Europe. And, you know, you think about those sides. They had um, just, uh, uh, 76, uh, Callahan still playing. He's tucking in from the right. Ray Kennedy wasn't was never an orthodox winger. These football matches were won in midfield. Yeah. And when uh, with the best Liverpool 
football teams that, that, that you know, for the last 20 years have been have really strong spines and you've looked around and thought, well, no one's be- no one's got better than Mascarano, Alonso and Gerrard, but we didn't really win anything. So if, if I, I don't think we won anything when it was the, when it was the three of those because Mascarano came just after the FA Cup. So it is interesting that, you know, that we do, we do think of football in that way and United famously haven't really bothered with it you know they've, they've had Carrick who's an underrated player but generally speaking they've been more interested in why men have been more interested in having really good centre-halves and having you know people who will score you lots of goals up front and that's how they've built teams and this this team, funnily enough, I wouldn't say it's you know it's not in that class yet, but it has a front two who will fear anyone, who will who will be feared by anyone. We have guys at the back who just seem to you know clear things and seem to be confident in that. And a goalkeeper who saves everything. Yeah, which is nice, isn't it? He loves to save that. Lad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, 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 one of the saves he made was just mind-boggling at the weekend because it was in a run-of-the-mill three-one win over Crystal Palace. It hasn't had the attention it deserved. The one where the ball's doing like a corkscrew, and he just sort of punches oh, out the air. Like, pain, wasn't it? Yeah, like in the matrix. I wouldn't, or something. Have, I wouldn't have fancied that no, at all. My head would have gone with that. One if <laughs> <laughs> it sort of doesn't look theoretically. I think maybe it might be one where, again, for the TV cameras, it, it might be the opposite of a great save for the TV cameras. <laughs> where for the t- these TV cameras might have looked at it and gone, yeah, it's all right. In the ground, everyone went, <gasps> it was. But, it, that, that, but this, this is the interesting thing, I think, is that, you know, Sarko, Sarko epitomises it now, I think. It, it really is. He clears everything, and yeah. that's it. He, he doesn't care. It's going. Mm. And then, it's and then you know, it, it is then a question of whether or not it manages to stick somewhere else on the pitch. And Liverpool still aren't great in that middle third, but in the back third, you fancy all of those centre-halves to basically win the battles. Yeah. You think the goalkeeper's going to save anything if they have a shot anyway. Um, and then up front, you know, you fancy that they'll create something. Moses can beat a man. When Coutinho comes back in, he's in there as well, and he can create from nowhere. And then on top of that, then the question mark is just in midfield. And we were saying in the pub afterwards, you know, it's it's one of these things that you've got people like... Uh, you know, you've got uh, Gerard watching lads go past him. Maybe he's just thinking to himself, well, you can have a shot, you'll save it. <laughs> I've seen him in training. Uh, what I say is as well, you don't get points for artistic merit, and I think there's, there's those of us who haven't seen our teams win huge amounts, and that's basically everyone apart from Man United fans, who, who kind of, you know, get obsessed with what is a good player, and it's players you, you know, you like watching. You know, the people say quite a bit about Alberto as well, or I really want to see him get in the team because he looks lovely on the ball. It does, it does look great. <laughs> I'm not saying he doesn't, but you don't get anything for that. And I think... The, Look at Enrique, for example. He gets zero for artistic, you know, merits. But he's, he's, you could argue he's doing the business for us. You could argue he's doing the business for us. And that, that, that's the terrifying thing. Well, I want to talk about a couple of other things, but we're going to go to a break now. And then we're going to get Grego Keefe on, uh, who's uh, Liverpool Echo's uh, Everton correspondent. And he's going to talk to us about Everton versus Manchester City. So this is all in the game. Neil Atkinson and John Gibbons. And see, we've even brought an Evertonian for you. <laughs> It's all in the game on City Talk 105.9. It is City Talk 105.9. It is all in the game. Sitting in for uh, Dave Downey is John Gibbons. But also, though, because we wanted to get an Evertonian perspective on the weekend's action, we've managed to get Greg O'Keefe with the Liverpool Echo on the phone. Greg, um, we, we, we touched on it a little bit in part one. It was interesting what John pointed out from what he saw. Already, this is an Everton side that looks like it needs Gareth Barry in the side. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. He, he did um, show what he, he was, he'd been signed to do in the first couple of games. He provided that invaluable shield, really, between and a promising but inexperienced midfield and a solid back four. And I think James McCarthy is a player who's benefited instantly from playing alongside Gareth Barry and when he wasn't there. And Darren Gibson wasn't able to make the game as well. You definitely noticed it, really did, and I think City had done the homework on Everton and took advantage of the fact that he wasn't there and stopped Everton going through the middle, and, you know, James McCarthy was left to cope with Yaya Torre and did that quite well. 
but you just miss the unfussy bits that Barry's done and you can already see why Martinez are so pleased getting him on that last day. It's, it's calming them down as well, isn't it? It's knowing basically, right, we need to have three minutes where not much happens for the opponents because when City did get on top, there was no one to sort of just take that sting out of the game, have that bit of experience. It, it felt like, you know what I mean, it was just this this whirling thing that was beyond the ken almost of um, of, of, of of McCarthy and Osman. It was it, it, uh, someone there who's been there and seen it and done it and won a league title knows that they're the moments where you just go, no, nothing happens now for two minutes, lads. Yeah, and that's what Barry will do. He'll keep the ball for you and he'll keep it short, simple, and just make sure that there's no danger of getting overrun. And City really were, you know, top class on Saturday. They were fired up. They were desperate to atone for what had happened in midweek. And like I said, they had done they'd done a job on Everton tactically. I think speaking to Lad afterwards, they were impressed with the tempo City were closing. And whenever they seemed to get the ball, uh, City had two men closing down Everton player. And Barry would have helped... I think he really would have tried that experience and as you say, that stabilising period, Everton conceding within a minute of scoring was mm. a really pivotal point of the game and it just hurt and then of course the timing of the second goal hurt the momentum even further and I think after that, even more than the penalty, you began to think it wasn't going to be their day. It was, um, I thought that... Um on the day, you know, I th- I th- Lukaku still impresses. Um, you know, he's he's got so much quality in terms of him trying to hold it up and bring people into the game. It's that sort of, it it's that which you know it it makes the Mourinho comments as we were saying in part one. It just makes them look really rather ludicrous at this stage. It's he doesn't seem overall by anything up to and including going to the side who I would still say were league, you know, were league champions. He he scores the opening goal in a game against the side that I'd still say are most likely to win the league. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a degree of back covering by Mourinho because if he looks at it, um, you know, in the cold light of day, he has let arguably the most talented striker he's got at his disposal go out on loan for another season. I think Evertonians will have noticed that the big thing that, in, that Lukaku needs to work on is simply his stamina. Last season with West Brom, he wasn't playing 90 minutes regularly, yeah. being used off the bench by Steve Clark. And you could see that in the last two games. The sprints and and the powerful runs in, in the first half, by the second half, were becoming a bit less dynamic. He was jogging a bit more. And he's only, of course, 20, and, and that, that lone roll up front can take its toll physically. And I think it, the more and more he plays 90 minutes or, or longer periods, it'll benefit him, and Everton will see the benefits as well. But when that drops off, like it did at the Etihad on Saturday, you know, it's noticeable. And, there are a few rough edges, but overall, he just looks like he's got the potential to be one of the best strikers in Europe, really. And that's a big statement, but just have to look at the goal scoring record for Everton already. And, and West Brom last season. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Um, looking at the league table, then I, I, I like to sort of play catch up on the league table when I've got Dave in. Uh, you, would would you think Evertonians, generally speaking, given the fact that it's a new manager, a new way of playing, this international break, it's now played seven, twelve points on the board, sitting in seventh place. Would that roundly have been taken by Evertonians? Yeah, I think so. Yes, yeah, certainly because whatever way you look at it, the new manager coming in on the back of eleven years previous. Um, it was clearly from day one going to be a different style of play, very different style of play, and some quite different faces in the side. And you probably look at a transitional period initially where you thought Everton could finish anywhere from 12th up to 8th, and you know it would be a season they just have to take that on the chin. And I think already Martinez has suggested that he's able to probably bypass that and have them pushing up on, on the coats, coattails of the, the top six. So 
you'd take at this stage, having gone unbeaten for that six games, and then okay, that didn't quite carry on at City. But I agree with you that they look like they're going to be in the mix to, to win the title. So I think there's um, yeah quite ahead of schedule in terms of that. Uh, John, you look at the league table. I, I, I love looking at the league table. I love dispelling the nonsense that it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. <laughs> because these days, I just think it's an 800-metre race where you've got to go as fast as you can, two laps around the track. And you look already at the top seven. Uh, the top seven is Arsenal, Liverpool, Chelsea, Southampton, Manchester City, Spurs, Everton. Uh, the only side that's not in there that you would think would have been in that seven conceivably, and Southampton are a good side, by the way, and Manchester United. You'd have thought maybe Southampton might be the ones most likely to challenge Everton. That's a league table that's already settled down, isn't it? Yeah, and it does very very quickly and there's these stories that oh, people didn't even used to print the print the didn't tables. print the table till November <laughs> and I can't imagine that's true there must have been loads of people just wondering where they were in the league <laughs> I think, it's not your business <laughs> I, think, I think we might be ninth <laughs> no, but it is you know right now that that's now that's I'm not saying that those sides will finish in that order by any yeah. stretch of the imagination. Well, but that's, that's one of the nice things about for Liverpool and Everton to being up there is is the company that they're in. And if the table was a bit mad and and it's only really Southampton, as you say, who who look a bit funny that there. But then when you see the money they've spent and you see them actually play football, and you know they, I thought they, they played well again at the weekend from what I'm saw. So I think you know they they will be. And they they they're talking themselves up Southampton as well, which, which is quite I love. like. Yeah, they were like, well, you know, we're, we're, we we could you know we're not we're not saying you know put limits on what we could achieve this season. Which I think quite right, you know, you know who who are, who are you concerned about? But yeah, so when you when you see the, the table and you see where it is, I think I think Liverpool and Everton will both be pleased with um, not necessarily where they are, but the, I guess the, guess the points total so far as well. They're both looking good. I think I think twelve for Everton from seven is, is very good considering them. You know, at the, the the start they weren't maybe getting the results they deserved. I think that's the, the other thing as well, uh, Greg, is that in the transfer window, you know, there's all these other sides. Southampton as an example, they'd done their business in the summer and they had a pre-season with these players. Um, Everton did the, ma- the, the majority of their business on the last day of the window um, yeah. famously and they bedded these players in pretty much immediately and, and, and all those players that they brought in that day they all look like class acts Yeah, definitely I mean Lukaku and seems to have fitted in him and Ross Barkley have developed a bit of a, a relationship on the pitch which is already looking very promising and you know you saw that in the first half definitely against Newcastle Barry, as we've said, has just fitted in seamlessly. Um, and Dale Thayu looks like he's going to be promising, although I think you know there's a lot of clamour for him to be playing more and more and more. And I think Evertonians who watched him come on on Saturday will realise that there's definitely a work in progress there and it's going to require patience. I can't see him starting Premier League games, uh, for example, against Hull or the next couple of weeks. It'll take him time that's, to adapt. That's, that's, par- that's partially not fancying Naismith, isn't it? And I think that we... we, we I, I was mm. saying last week to, to, to uh, Alan Ayer when I think we underrate players like Naismith and what they bring in terms of the fact that Naismith doing a lot of what he's doing, it's creating space for Barkley to play, it's allowing you to have Morales on the other side. You know, he's able, putting the stint in that he does and working around it. it may not be, it may not look nice and it may not be what, sort of what you want from your footballers but if if he doesn't do it then there's more onus on other people to have to do it instead Yeah, Naismith looked on Saturday like he was growing in confidence and I think speaking to Roberto Martinez he believes that it maybe is a lack of belief that's not helped Naismith so far, you know, he's never quite reached the levels that he was at at Rangers and, you know, coming up at, at Kilmarnock, he was known as Kid Goals and he had this reputation as an exciting, confident player who scored goals. And obviously, it's a big step from even from Rangers to the Premier League. But nevertheless, it was a bit diffident and he was getting played on the wing by Moyes. And 
Um, I think I think he's grown in confidence a bit more as well, and he sees an opportunity under under the new manager. And yeah, he's he's a quiet one who's just will fly under the radar. But like you say, he he does the jobs that maybe others won't do, uh, and helps to have Morales on the other flank, who who will be a little bit more in and out of the game, but have an impact and be dynamic when he, when he's on it. I'd love it if someone called me Kid Goals, you know. <laughs> That's a great name. Will you start, will you start calling me Kid I'll Goals? I'll start calling you Kid Please. Goals going forward. You're, I mean, I play football with you and you're most definitely not Kid Goals, John. <laughs> I mean, that's, maybe that's why I want it so much. Uh, the, other, the other thing that's interesting, I mean, I noticed that um, it's about a, a sister title of yours, really, but it was interesting to see Martinez speaking out on the um, the mental health issue in, uh, in the Sunday Mirror today. The idea that, he, you know, he, he comes across a man who's very thoughtful about, what, about that aspect of the game as to what his players are thinking and feeling and not just what they're doing sort of either on the pitch or even in training Greg you know do you get that impression from yeah. him when you're speaking to him he's very much into into treating his players like humans and, and, and absolutely because he, he, he comes across a very impressive man and I'm saying this as a as a Liverpoolian who's, who's, who's basically got six weeks to find a way to despise him come the Merseyside derby <laughs> on the 23rd you know he, he comes across very very impressive very thoughtful yeah I was speaking to one of the lads around the backroom staff and we were chatting about things and you know you, you really can't sort of underestimate the impact Martinez has had on the club coming in, you know, obviously you've got a lot of people to win over and convince, but he's been so popular in such a short space of time. And just to give you an example of of the way he treats people, he'll have everyone in his office who hasn't made, everyone in the senior squad who hasn't made the match day set up, he'll bring them into his office and explain why. And then, you know, he'll tell them what they need to do in order to maybe be in the mix next time. And from what I've heard, they're walking out. And they might still feel aggrieved, but they feel they've been treated fairly and they've been yeah. recognised and they've been given a bit of constructive advice for where they can go to next. And for me, that's a sign of a good manager. And as you say as well, a decent human being. Excellent stuff, Greg. Thanks so much for coming on at short notice and taking the Cheers, time. Um, anyway, that was Greg O'Keefe from the Liverpool Echo. Excellent stuff there from Greg. Uh, this is Neil Atkinson and Kid Goals, all in the game on City Talk 105.9. Coming back, we're going to have Ian McIntosh and Catherine Stewart talking about, amongst other things, uh, Tottenham Hotspur nil, West Ham United 3. Everything and anything football, it's all in the game on City Talk 105.9. It is City Talk 105.9. It is all in the game. Neil Atkinson and still kick goals. Uh, he's getting it for the rest of the show. <laughs> uh, shortly, we're going to be joined by Ian McIntosh and uh, Catherine Stewart. But before then, I just wanted to, uh, in part one, I was getting on to the subject of Raheem Sterling. Um, I think Raheem Sterling's struggling, John. And I think... I don't think the crowd's helping him. I think we've almost got Sterling fatigue. It's like he's been a Liverpool player now for, for 10 years and he's still not cutting the mustard, whereas he's, he's still 18. He made his debut two seasons ago and he's just filling in a right wing back doing a job and everyone's furious with him. Yeah, you can forget how young he still is and, and what players at that age are doing at other clubs, you know, and, and generally they're not playing for them. And, he, and he's played quite a lot for Liverpool now. I mean, he was he was particularly poor at the weekend, don't get me wrong. I thought he was our worst player, probably by, by a bit of a distance. But, you know, he, as you say, he's playing in a very unfamiliar position. He's probably playing in a position where he can't afford to lose the ball. And I think for Raheem Sterling, where he is now, that's actually a really dangerous thing. If you remember when he was coming into the team, when he first came into the team, it was when we were playing 4-3-3, so it wasn't even as a winger. It was as a wide forward, and he, you know, had you know no pressure on him whatsoever because people didn't know too much about him, and people kind of it's written that Liverpool team off a bit. And he was playing yeah. one wing, and Suzo was playing the other, so he wasn't even on his own really, and he could just go out and express himself, and you know, and perform well, and was linking up pretty well with Suarez, and and, and you know. 
did all right by any any kind of um, any way you'd measure it, and but very very well considering his age and, and what he'd done. But now I think he's, he's obviously that role doesn't exist anymore in this team, so he can't play it. But also. He's in this position now where if you're playing right wing back then, you can't just say, oh, we just keep trying to beat your man. Because if you, if you try and beat your man playing there and you don't, then, you know, it's a lot further up the pitch and suddenly the people are, you know, more likely to damage you. So he's so he's, he's looking, OK, well, I need to, you know, be solid, you know, look for a pass inside. And he's never really had that game. I don't know whether he's better off reinvents himself as a striker. I think that's interesting. I think about I think if he reinvents himself as a strike, he'll have the same problem that, for instance, Barini's got, which is just no physical presence, and that's a major, major I think issue. He's got I th- a little bit of presence. I don't think he's. I don't think. I think he's. He's, re- he's actually reasonably good at holding the ball up. I mean, we haven't seen it too much from him up front, but I don't think he minds it with his back to goal playing right wing. Okay, okay. Well, with us now, we're getting joined us to talk about uh, to talk about uh, Tottenham Hotspur, but also the craziness of, of of exactly what's happening with the league at the minute in terms of the fact that there's no clear uh, front runner when we all thought that there might well be. We've got Ian McIntosh and we've got Catherine Stewart. Uh, both were so, but Catherine supports uh, Tottenham Hotspur. Ian was at that game yesterday. Ian, do you want to tell Catherine exactly how bad Spurs were? <laughs> I, I don't think she needs me to punish her anymore. <laughs> the funny thing was, Tottenham, it, it wasn't so much that they were bad and that they didn't, like, terrible, terrible things. They were just blunt and ineffectual. They came up against a thick smudge of claret shirts and they just could not think of a way through or, or push a way through or, or do anything, really, apart from pass the ball amongst themselves and then lose it every couple of minutes. Um, it was the kind of game where you figured it was either going to end nil-nil and everyone would go home frustrated or it was going to end one-nil just because Tottenham kept banging on the door until the handle fell off. What actually happened was something which I think took everyone by surprise. It was one of the few games I've been at where the away fans have looked more surprised with the result than the home fans. <laughs> Catherine, the Spurs thing so far this season, it's, it's interesting Ian used the word they're pushed in it, and, and he also used the word blunt. What's surprised me when I've when I've caught some of Tottenham playing this season is that it is like trying to force, you know, it, it's blunt instrument territory, it's forcing things through and there's not the cutting edge that you sort of came to expect from last season. Yeah, I mean, I, I think part of that's just we've got such a new team this season. We're still trying to work out what what our starting eleven is, really. Um, I think our problem is as well, and it's part of that, is that we sometimes seem we don't really have a plan B. So, you know, if it's not working, the changes aren't there that we can make at this point. Um, you know, last season, obviously, we had Gareth Bale, who would get us out of those situations more often than not. And, you know, we, we've actually got some late goals this season. Look at the Cardiff games and things. But, I mean, particularly when, when obviously, when West Ham got the third, there was just no way we were coming back. I mean, even at two, I thought, you know, if we just grasp this game and go for it, we could do something. But yeah. the minute the third goal it just completely finished the game, you know, they were very good going forward as well. OK. I mean, Ian, this is, this is the... The, the odd way in which the league has simultaneously very much settled down into it's coalesced into quite a clear top seven. Uh, Southampton, the only real obvious interlopers in there, but they're a good side as well. And then Manchester United, obviously, to join as the season wears on. But no one, uh, none of the bigger sides, as we've, we've had these conversations before the season started, no one's impressed. No, absolutely. Before the season started, we were all fairly convinced it was going to be the two Manchester clubs and Chelsea with Tottenham and Arsenal scrapping out for a Champions League playoff place. And all that's happened is that everybody who's espoused any kind of opinion on what was going to happen has been made to look a complete (laughs) fool, uh, myself most included, Um, because everyone seems to be by varying shades, a bit rubbish. You've got Manchester City who just can't seem to consistently find their groove. You've got Manchester United who, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure 
you've devoted enough time to do, talking about it and relishing the moment. Previous weeks, we're not, as, they, as they came back on 1-2-1 this week, we've not mentioned them yet, but we'll keep going anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, Chelsea as well. They laboured I mean, that, though. I was one of the people who said that you know Mourinho coming back to Chelsea would actually give them something on which to anchor some kind of form and rebuilding programme, but that doesn't seem to have happened. Um, and what are you not doing up there? That wasn't expected <laughs> at all. Well, we're, we're, we're sort of just... We're, we're being really quite on Liverpool in that we're, we're, we're picking up lots of points. We were talking about this in part one. We're picking up lots of points whilst not really impressing anything very much. We're just very, very good in the final third. Um, we're absolutely clinical, and with, especially as the front two's come along, and it's... It's sort of very on Liverpool football because for years, you know, we prided ourselves on being excellent footballers in midfield. And that's sort of where I think Tottenham have ended up. I'm looking at Tottenham's midfield still. And I'm pretty much going, yep, have him. Yep, I'd have him. I'd have him. And there's this great midfield, Catherine, isn't there? That, that you know, Dembele is struggling to get a regular game now, whereas he was in periods at times last season. And now, you know, there's almost this such a rich variety of options. There's no clear move. Indeed, embarrassment of riches. You know, no, we're very lucky, um, and it will do us well over the season. It's a long season. We're, you know, you know, VSBOS loves the Europa League, so we're going to go for that. We're, we're through in the League Cup, so there'll be a lot of games. Um, I think what we've missed actually in the last game and I think against Chelsea as well was Sandro, he's such a such a good player and just need that sitting in front of the back four that allows everyone else to move on, it protects the back floor, you know, we've got a few slow players. So I think if we can just get the equation right, um, we'll do very, very well. I don't know whether he's still just getting back to full fitness or whatever, but, you know, I think a lot of Spurs fans are crying out for him to be back, you know, in the starting eleven for the Premier League games. I, I think that's absolutely true, um, because you're not just missing Sandro, you're missing Capu as well, who mm, started so yeah. well. You put a midfield three of Sandro, Capu and Paulinho out, there is a nuclear blast that could put those three on their bottoms. <laughs> physical midfield. They're just not going to give up anything. Uh, and that really would have saved them against West Ham. But uh, Catherine's also wrote what she said earlier. It's not just one new player coming in. You throw a new player like Christian Eriksen, someone that inventive and spontaneous, and the rest of the team's got to get to grips with him. But you've also got a new striker in Soldado. You've got Lamella, who um, hasn't even made a start yet, who's um, trying to fit in from the bench. There's so many new players and so many new faces. If any thing we've been a little silly expecting them to uh, sort of romp into a top three finish by any um, standards they're having a very very good start to the season even with that West Ham result but then the part of the problem for Tottenham I guess is that how well they've done the last couple of years and so people are starting to treat playing Tottenham differently like you know West Ham we're, we're, as you say we're very happy to just to be very hard to beat and probably would have took nil-nil although Allardyce is I think trying to claim that he had this 3-0 in his in his head all along and it was just part of this grand master plan but I think you get obviously for someone for Tottenham they'll, they'll get more and more teams worried about them and you know who will you know, park the bus and, and sit back and just look to be physical against them, whereas in the past they maybe more, would have had more of a go. Yeah, this is something that Moussa Dembele was talking about after the game, and uh, he's managed to inadvertently offend um, all of East London by uh, <laughs> doing something that Rafa Benitez said and referring to uh, another team as a small team, the kind of team we should be beating. Um, but I think, you know, he, he is absolutely right. It's, I think, the fifth highest wage bill uh, at Tottenham in the league. Mm. Um, and when they come up against a team like West Ham, who hadn't scored a single goal away from home, sorry, Catherine, um, all <laughs> season long, they Saves them all up for us today. <laughs> um, that, that, that is a game that they should be they should be winning. But 
you're going to... You should have seen Sam Allardyce after the game in the press conference. So this is not a man who needs permission to blow his own trumpet the best of times. He was very, very pleased with himself, and rightly so, because they had come out with that plan. Um, they had come out to play a 4-6-0. Um, they had come out to starve Tottenham of possession. He even said, we're just going to frustrate them and frustrate them and frustrate them until they make a mistake. And that's the kind of thing you do to a team that you're really taking seriously. And uh, Gibbo's absolutely right. There was a time when Tottenham were a kind of mid-table team with uh, the occasional cup run, and they're not that anymore. I've got to be honest, John, I'm not looking forward to West Ham at home this season off the back of this. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm, they've, they've, they've sort of done it to us before, haven't we? We've had nil-nils, yeah. They're gonna, yeah. It's, it's going to be grim, that one. I might make sure I'm away for that one. <laughs> I, I only missed one home league game last season, and it was Fulham, and we won 4-0. I might actually miss West Ham this season is the one that I end up missing. It's, I mean, where do we see it ending up, Ian? It's, it's interesting to have you on. We, you know, it's... At seven games, this is now effectively, given the fact that the next time any of these sides take the pitch, it's October the 19th. It's mid-November. It's 20% of the season played. And there, is, there, are, there are more questions than there were at the start of the season. Yeah, absolutely. But for Liverpool, um, suddenly it's looking very, very positive because uh, I think our, our mutual friend Tony Evans was on the radio last night saying that Liverpool have actually really possibly only got 32 games left this season everyone else has got about 50 and all that time thanks to not being in Europe all that time that they're not spending in airport departure lounges is time they're spending on the training field getting better at playing football at the risk of being really really simplistic and I wouldn't have seen them coming higher than six but now all of a sudden you look at that schedule and the time and the freedom they've got to recover from injuries you've got to say there's a real chance of getting back in the Champions League because we've got good players coming back as well which is what's exciting Liverpool fans when you look at it you know we're struggling we've struggled at right wing back without Johnson but he should be back after the international break there's obviously Coutinho to come back very soon as well and no one's really made that kind of space their own and then you know there's still still Suzuki maybe to come back from injury who, who may be improvements on Enrique so we are excited Ian I'll be honest well, we are. Ian we're excited we're excited but we've sadly got to stop talking Ian, Catherine, Greg, John thank you very much that's all in the game we've gone to the wire <laughs> It's all in the game on City Talk 105.9.